This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey guys, welcome in. Stinky Truth Podcast alongside Mike Evans. I'm Mark Schlerth, Millennial Ben, producing the show. want to thank our presenting sponsor, Great folks over at Bet Rivers. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers. Check them out online at betrivers.com. Download the app. Also, stinking good green chili. Guys, if you had it yet, oh, it's phenomenal. Go ahead and try it. Stinkinggood.com. That's one G. Stinkinggood.com. Mike, how are you, buddy? Good. I actually had to write down that website so that I could go get some because did I bring you in some the, in the span of six years that we've worked together? I think you've given me like two tubs for for free. Really? Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to rectify that. I'll get some expired stuff and bring it in. <laughs> you hot snot. Yeah. Well, it's not really. Expi- the date sometimes expires, but it's still good because, like, the way it works is, is they'll only give you X amount of, of months on a frozen product. So in the grocery business, they'll, they'll slap on an expiration date. Like, they'll give you six months. But really, you're cleared for up to a year really? on it. Yeah. So can I do that with milk? Um. <laughs> yeah, you can usually push milk by a few days. Yeah, or so. a few if days. It, it starts to get like if it starts to as you're drinking it going down like cottage cheese, then <laughs> then you probably well, you probably want to throw that out. Yeah, probably but, the way to go yeah. there might be a little curdled. Um. All right, so here we go. You know. We're, we're one week away from the NFL draft. I know. Is that Kind of cra- a different draft for us here in, in Denver, but it doesn't take away from the importance of it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it is it's is different for us because we gave away our draft capital to get a quarterback, Russell Wilson. So right now, you know, I, I do find it fascinating, though, Mike, because here's the thing about the draft. you The, the draft, like, on the networks, whatever, will garner like a, a 14 or 15 rating, right? I mean, it's it's off the charts. And then you start looking at like NBA basketball playoff games, right? You got a you got a rating of like a four and a half or something. And so you're talking about the draft, like it's it's three, four, five times what baseball playoffs are or NBA playoffs. Yeah, you know, it's it's a huge event. The NFL's made it a huge event. And ultimately, what's the average NFL fan really know about the draft? Well, they know that they know the quarterbacks' names that are potential first rounders, and they know what a couple of the yeah a couple of guys maybe they saw for Alabama or yeah you know if you watched uh, the the playoff hey oh well, there's an Alabama guy right. I remember him or Georgia guy or somebody like that yeah yeah, yeah. or a big time wide receiver they, they, there's like the, the the average fan probably knows four or five names then how and, do you explain the appeal? The appeal is again. It's the hope of it's. You're selling hope, man. You're selling the future. You're selling opportunity. You're selling, like, hey, man, this guy, one guy is going to change your franchises. You know, your your you're going to change your franchise for life. Like that's what that's what you're selling. And and the thing about the thing about this draft, I think that probably is. Um, that intrigues me probably more than anything, Mike. Okay. So here you go. 
The thing I think about this draft that intrigues me probably more than anything is everybody talks about the value of this draft in the second and third round. They talk about like mainstay type of guys that can really add to your franchise, be long-term starters and, you know, and long-term long-term producers. And I think one of the things that's interesting is I think that one, when you talk to NFL executives around the league, most people will tell you the draft is about 15 to 18 players deep. There's 15 to 18 guys that truly deserve to be drafted in the first round. But you're taking 32, right? Because there's 32 teams. So there's going to be 32 picks. Now what ends up happening to you is several of the quarterbacks that don't deserve to be taken in the first round are going to get elevated in the first round, and some will get elevated high. So that's going to push down a couple of players. So you can occasionally find one of those gems at 24 or 25. And that's what makes it intriguing. But to me, the first round and the problem with the draft in general is the first round is about checking boxes. So it's the height, weight, speed triangle, right? He checks all the boxes. He's super fast. Look at the 40 time. Oh, boy, he can jump over. You know, his vertical jump is incredible. His, uh, you know, his, his three-cone drill is off the charts amazing. And so you check all those boxes. His bench press, you know, oh, my gosh. And you check them all off, and then you draft the guy, and basically you're no longer held accountable for whether that guy can play or not because he checked all the boxes. Now all of a sudden you get into the meat of the draft, second, third, fourth round, and you're drafting guys based on what they showed you on film. Not the hyperbole test. It's the real stuff. And I think that's where this draft becomes really intriguing. So the first round is the combine effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. after that it becomes more about True evaluation. And I to, I've told you this many times. I've told you this on this podcast. Like, the last 40 you'll ever run is at your pro day or at the combine. No, no team makes you run 40s after it's all said and done. You don't have, like, combine testing. The last time you'll do the 225 bench test is at the combine. You'll never be asked to do it again, ever. So why do we put so much weight into it? Well, we, we put the weight into it, like I said, to check the boxes, to make sure I don't lose my job. To make sure that if I draft a guy in the first round and he doesn't pan out, he's a first-round bust, I can go, but look at his numbers. Like, it's not my fault. And so that's that's what's intriguing about this draft to me. And as a Bronco fan, you know, and as as a guy that lives here in Denver and you and I cover the Broncos a bunch – that's what makes it intriguing. What do you do with those second-rounders? What do you do with those third-rounders? How many of those guys not only become starters but become, you know, Pro Bowl potential starters? That's really where the, the best front offices shine. Sure. And that, that usually is the separator, right? right? Between the teams that are the perennial candidates, the perennial uh, contenders versus the teams that aren't are those teams that are able to really just mine those, those picks in the second, third, fourth, early, uh, fifth round. Now – it's funny because a lot of the top receivers in the NFL mm-hmm. were not first-round picks. Yet, boy, are these guys now all of a sudden getting paid mm-hmm. and starting to flex their muscles. We got wide receivers looking at the deals given to Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill are all of a sudden saying, hey, not only will I not report for offseason 
programs. Mm-hmm. I want to be traded. Debo Samuel, Terry McLaurin, AJ uh, Brown, uh, AJ yeah. Brown. What what do you make now of this move by receivers? Right. I, I they want to get paid. Yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting. Like I think that when you talk in in football parlance, you know, if you just don't invite a receiver to have that conversation with, right? Like you can't have that guy in in the room. But if you're if you're in a room and you're just talking about football in general, again, the receiver opinion doesn't like leave him out of it because he's going to tell you how valuable he is, right? He's going to tell you how valuable the position is. I think the overall value in the position, um, even though you get that you pay the big time, you know, kind of the big time quote unquote X receiver, the single side receiver, that guy's the guy that gets paid, but every receiver looks at himself and says, well, that's the receiver money. So I should get paid. I think that's why Tyreek Hill is now in Miami. Um, I just think it's it's funny because if you talk, like I said, in football parlance with football people and GMs, I think most guys would tell you that it's the most dependent position in a game of dependent position players. And so, you know, I mean, it, like, how many of those guys lead your team to, to the playoffs? I, it just, it doesn't, I don't think it works that way. So if football people are telling you, that receivers play a dependent position, then why are these guys getting paid? Well, I think the way the league has been structured, one, is that we're spreading you out. We've become more of a spread situation. And a guy like a Devontae Adams, a guy that has that that prototypical size, speed, athleticism, high point, those guys are a problem, meaning that you have to roll coverage. You have to find ways to double team guys. You have to you have to effectively try to have a game plan to take a dude out, and therefore it opens up the rest of of your team. But not every receiver does that for you. Like there's a there's a handful of those guys, and I think the problem is is that everybody looks at themselves that way. Because like Debo Samuel is one of my favorite players. That dude is a beast. I mean, an absolute beast. But is he a big-time, polished, top-ten receiver? No. I mean, is he in the same conversation with Devontae Adams? Or is he in the same conversation with Jefferson? Is he in the same conversation with with any of the kind of the big-time threats at the receiver position? no. 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 He's not the route. I don't think he's the route runner. I don't think he's... I don't think he's any of the – now, he's one of the most competitive ball guys when the ball's in the air. That dude will compete his ass off. He's the most he – arguably the most physical receiver in football. He certainly is that. Um, you know, he's all, he's a weapon. But is he a, is he a guy that you line up at X and say, man, um, you guys can't ever single him up? You, you get, like, I don't think he's that guy. And so – Again, there is one kind of prototypical receiver that gets paid, and then the other guys are secondary guys. They're they're even if they're big time primetime players, they're unless they're that that prototypical type of body and that prototypical type of receiver, nobody really wants to pay those guys. All right. So you're saying that wide receivers play a dependent position. So wide receiver as a whole is a dependent position, but you'd acknowledge that there's a what a handful 
of guys that truly play above that dependency. Mm-hmm. That right, they play well, the game in such a way that they're not dependent on yeah. anyone. They're going to well, make no, the quarterback. You're, look. Yeah, you're still dependent on the quarterback getting you the ball and and protection, holding up and stuff. But you're such a threat that they have to find a way to double team you yeah. at all times. And how many of them are there? Yeah, that, and and there's just a handful, a handful of those guys. So again, it's it's a tricky conversation to have, Mike. It's a really it's a really tricky conversation because Debo Samuel is a weapon. Now I don't know that he looks at himself and says, "Okay, I need to make my move. My next level move has to be. I've got to become, you know." valued as a receiver as opposed to a weapon or if he's saying man I want out of San Francisco because um I don't want to play running back that's not what I like my career is not going to last playing the way they play me and he proved man that guy could be a 1200 yard rusher there's no question that that guy could be one of the in my mind one of the top running backs when when I talked to Kyle Shanahan about him he's like man that dude is a fullback that plays wide receiver. He can do anything for us. He's tough as nails. He'll block the crap out of people. You know, he'll beat you up. He'll he, like he can carry the ball. He there's nothing that Debo Samuel can't do. This may be as simple as I love San Fran, but I know if I stay here, I'm going to continue to be asked to do this. And if we get a running back injury or a rash of injuries like we had last year, now all of a sudden I'm going to be starting wide receiver slash running back. I don't want to do that. And, and and by the way, probably having to play with a, a really raw quarterback in Trey Lance, and you're looking and saying, hey, not not only am I going to probably see my numbers go down as a receiver, but I'll probably be used even more as a running back mm-hmm. to help this young quarterback, and that just shortens my life expectancy in the NFL. Right. So I could see why he wanna Yeah, so get there out. may not be there may not be any animosity between him and, and John Lynch or Kyle right. Shanahan. But he just may be looking at his career in general, the lifespan that you have, and say, wait a minute now, you keep playing me at the running back position, and I'm going to take a 12, 13-year career, and it's going to be a 6, 7-year career. Right, right. And that may be, that it, to boil it down to its simplest form, because I don't know, I don't know why all of a sudden he's demanding a trade, but that may be at its, at its core, that may be the issue. So... I'm curious to get your take as as someone who's been around this league for a long, long time, because it seems to me that the NFL player of today is so much more uh, emboldened and empowered to really go out and sort of create their own destiny and be able to request trades, demand trades, um, get traded to a place with the understanding that I'm going to come in and I'm going to have a say. You know, I'm going to have a real say. Mm -hmm in how we run our offense, in what kind of personnel we bring. It, it seems to me that today's NFL player has never been more uh, in charge right? as we've ever seen. It's almost kind of like the way that we see NBA players who wield so much power. NFL players are starting to wield power. Right. Yeah. Am, am I wrong about no, that? No, no, you're 100%. Are you, are, you, are you happy for it? I I think it's am, a good thing. Yeah, I am happy for I am happy for guys, and you know, and especially in one of the like, you think about what was the genesis of this? Like, what started this trend? 
And I think there's a couple things that you can point to, Mike, just off the top of my head, because you and I haven't had this discussion. This is just, you know, this is just completely organic. So what started? Well, you know what? Kirk Cousins basically getting franchised several years in a row and finally getting out of Washington and getting a fully guaranteed contract. So there is one of the catalytic events that created kind of power to the the player. Wait a minute. Kirk Cousins is getting a fully guaranteed contract? Like, hold the phone. Like, that's Kirk. Hey, Kirk Cousins is good and all. The fourth rounder out of Michigan State. Like, if he's getting a fully guaranteed contract, you're damn right I'm going to get a fully guaranteed contract. Right? So I think that was, I think that several years ago was one of the catalytic events that pushed more power to the player. I think the other thing that has happened, Mike, is when the NFL signed this rookie wage scale and the five-year commitment for first-round picks where these guys said, man, I don't have any leverage. I'm kind of slotted. And if I can outperform this rookie deal in year three, I'm putting my foot down. And now you've got no other, you don't have any other options. I've made enough money to sit out for a year or whatever I have to do, but I'm going to make a fuss. I'm going to act like a petulant child, and I'm going to get my Jamal Adams trade out of the Jets, and I'm going to Seattle. Or I'm going to get my, like, I'm getting out of here if you don't pay me. And so I think, I think some of that, that kind of change of attitude, and the fact that a couple of people have put their foot down and said, absolutely not, I'm not playing under this rookie deal anymore. Right. And teams acquiescing or trading those players and them getting new contracts has also been kind of one of the events that have pushed it this way. Can I add one more to yeah, that? Yeah, please. I, I, I'm going to say Tom Brady moving to Tampa and all the things that went with that. Now, he wasn't traded, okay? The Patriots mm-hmm. let, let him walk. He played out his deal. But think about once he was a free agent, not only did he get to pick where he wanted to go, mm-hmm. but what came with it. How he was able to start to make suggestions, right. and all of a sudden, here are Brady suggestions joining the Bucks: Leonard Fournette, Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski, right? Then you heard all the talk about how the playbook drastically changed, and Brady was able to put, put more of his imprint on the offense. And and then also just the, the fact that how different he was as compared to button-down Tom Brady in mm-hmm. Fort Foxborough there with the Patriots. People are watching him have fun and toss the Lombardi trophy off the back of a boat and get absolutely hammered. And they're like, wow, look at Tom Brady living right. his He's best life. He's having a good time. Right? Yeah. I want that. Right. I want to control where I play. I want to control the offense that we run. I want to control the personnel around me. Mm-hmm. You know, you put all these factors together, and now all of a sudden players are like, I got some power, I'm going to wield it. Yeah, I, and I'm sure there are there are a handful of guys, you know, that, that were missing, um, guys who have done it over the years. You know, there were guys way back in the day from the Eric Dickersons of the world mm-hmm. to, hey, John Elway yep. refusing to play in Baltimore, Eli Manning, mm-hmm. you know, not going to the Chargers. You know, there, there's a lot of different guys that have kind of paved that way but here recently, 
everybody, I feel like everybody's been empowered. And, you know, it was, there's this, the, the prevailing attitude of, you know, honor your contract and fulfill the contract. And where all these contracts have been signed with the out clauses and the, it's a six year deal, but it's really a two year deal or three year where the player has just said, wait a minute, what's good for, good for the goose is good for the gander. If you guys can get out of this deal, then at, at year three, I can say, wait, I've overperformed. I'm, I'm, you know, an all-star player. Forget you guys, man. I want out or I want a new deal. Yep. And, um, and, and the team seemed to be acquiescing. And I, I guess the other thing is, is, you know, the owners are their own worst enemies in a way because, you know, the, the guy wants out and you're like, okay, we'll give you capital. We'll give you draft capital for that. We want the guy. And so I, I you know, it's, I think it's good for the league. Ultimately, I think it's good for the players. I think it's good for the league. And, and it kind of excites me that these things have gone on. I know we're missing some things, but I mean, just look at like the, the drama, the soap opera that is the NFL, the, you know, every year there's massive change. I mean, look at Matt Ryan. Did you think Matt Ryan was going to be in Indianapolis? How much better the Indianapolis Colts look right now with Matt Ryan, Russell Wilson being in Denver. Did you think that was going to happen? I mean, it's, it, to me, it's insane. You think about how colossal the screw-up, if you will, in Indianapolis was going, okay, we're going to get Wentz and we're going to give away, you know, first-round capital and blah, 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 blah. And after one year, and you had a pretty good season, you ship him off to Washington and you find a way, and you shipped him off to Washington without a deal in place for Matt Ryan, and you still were able to figure out the Matt Ryan deal. I mean, it's it's pretty incredible. I, I know we're still months away from the season happening, but I am absolutely, I can't wait to see how it plays out in the AFC. Because, tell me if I'm wrong, uh-huh. but I would say that of the 16 fan bases, 16 NFL towns, 16 NFL fan bases out there in the AFC, mm-hmm. I would argue that 13 of those 16 fan bases right now look at their team and say, oh, yeah, we're a playoff team. Right. The only ones being the Jets, Texans, and Jags. Everybody else looks at their team and says, we're a playoff team. Stink. There are only seven spots. Right. Do you, do you think right now Pittsburgh – with the current quarterback situation, do you think they look at themselves? I think I think Pittsburgh fan looks at him and still thinks we're the Steelers. We'll find a way. Defense, mm-hmm. more of a commitment to running the football, special teams. We've done it before. We can do it again. Right. Yeah. Oh, I definitely. I I, I can never imagine a Steeler fan base waving the white flag on a season. No I know. Way. I know the Miami fan base is in. Right. Yeah. I, I know. I mean, I was. Reading articles about how how oh the staff loves Tua and they're going to be great. We know Buffalo. We know New England. Um, you're right with the Jets. Baltimore. You know they're going to be back, right? Yeah. Cincinnati. They they just represented the AFC in the Super Bowl. Cleveland. They got Deshaun Watson. And no matter how Brown fan may feel right. about what he's supposed to be off the field, there, there's no doubt that. He's a really good quarterback. Mm-hmm. Now you are looking at a suspension, probably, right? Right. So can they how long is that suspension? Does it effectively ruin their year? Can they survive and hang in there until he comes back? But don't you think Cleveland fan is still thinking playoffs? Yeah. They got one of the better yeah. rosters out there. Right. Yeah, I think you're I think you're probably right. Which which leads me to this. Uh, just a question for you. W- what's gonna happen with uh Baker Mayfield? Oof! Like seriously, where, like where, where? It, 
where does he end up? I mean, it doesn't feel like, you know, the Robbie Anderson thing, you know, from from the Carolina Panthers when they're like, hey, what about Robbie Anderson? And he just he tweets out, no, like, I don't want that. Guy. Like, I mean, so wait, wait a minute. minute. So Sam Darnold, right now, Sam Darnold, the struggles that Sam Darnold has had is, is the option you're going with right now, potential draft, whatever the case may be. But you're looking at, at Baker Mayfield and saying, "No, I don't want, I don't want." So that the guy. book is out. Is that what we're saying? Is that the book is out there among NFL players when it comes to Baker Mayfield? That a guy who hasn't played with Baker in Robbie Anderson is like, "No, don't right. want him." Hell no. What is 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 there a book out on Baker Mayfield? Is he just regarded as the in, in NFL circles that he's a what a bad teammate? He, too much about himself. He throws people under the bus. What? Yeah, I. Well, I mean, remember when Odell Beckham Jr. left town, and it was like there was there was definite beef, mm-hmm. and I think was it his dad or something st- talking about Baker Mayfield and issues on you know social media and blah 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 blah, and you know I've never been a huge Odell Beckham Jr. fan because I think it comes with a lot of drama, but the bottom line is. Like, what he did last year with Los Angeles was amazing. He got into a situation, and obviously he's he's playing for another contract, another opportunity, and it was unfortunate that he tore his ACL, but, man, that dude busted his butt. I Me, mean, I'm talking about blocking people and bubble screens and all kinds of stuff. Like, he, he, was a, he was a consummate professional, a big-time player for Los Angeles. So, you know, I mean, he it, it, it made it look like he leaves a situation where it's it's not good and he comes to a situation where all of a sudden, all of a sudden he gets plugged into a really good team with a, a quarterback that I really like and Matthew Stafford and bam, starts to shine. And so I think every time that he shines, it takes some shine off yep. of Baker. Agreed. And then, yep. you know, you, you've got, you got, other people that aren't happy and and maybe word is out that hey Baker is a little bit overrated or Baker is a, a, a bit petulant and and he can't lead a football team. I don't I like I don't know, but it certainly feels that certainly feels like it's the case. Well, isn't I, I don't know who said it, but somebody said in the case of Baker Mayfield, you need to play more and talk less. I think it's actually Lewis Riddick mm-hmm. uh said it over on ESPN. He said, My advice to Baker right now. Just play and stop talking. Stop right. talking. Right. Stop talking. Don't, just play. Don't go on any podcast. Right. Don't talk about, you know, don't talk about, you know, like when when you come out, and I, I think this is probably pretty true for anybody, you come out and you start talking about head coaches and you start talking about offensive coordinators and you start talking about, you know, how tough it's been and this, that, and the other. Ultimately, I think it feels to me, or at least the average NFL fan, I think it feels like excuses. Instead of taking the response, and I think one of the great things about, one of the, the hard things or one of the things about playing quarterback, Mike, is is you got to be an adult and you've got to be able to def- just deflect and defer all the praise and throw it and heap it on your teammates and you got to be able to take all the criticism and yep. own it yep. and shoulder it. And to me, that's the thing that Baker can't do. He can't take the criticism. He is he's one of those guys that feels like, you know, the, the kid that you grew up with, 
they could dish it out but couldn't take it. Right, right. You know, and that kid was easy to push all his buttons, right? And the next thing you know, if you started pushing his buttons, he either went home or he started crying or he wanted to fight. It's that it's he's that guy. He's the the consummate I can dish it, but when it starts coming back at me, man, I have a tough time taking it. Where do you think he ends up? He's got to end up somewhere. He's got to, right? I Se- mean, Seattle just makes too much sense to me, I guess. It, to me also, and I think he's he's mentioned that as well, but, you know, I mean, you've got Drew Locke there. You just you just re-signed, uh, what, Geno Smith. Um, I think the, the NFL is just waiting for him to be released. Then yeah. there'll be a market for him. Right. But I don't think anybody wants to I, trade for him I don't and think, the contract. I don't think anybody's given up draft capital and taking on 18 million exactly. bucks a year. Exactly. So they'll just wait out Cleveland releasing him. Yeah, because eventually they'll have to. Now, what if Cleveland decides, hey, man, we're keeping him at $18 million. Because think about this now. Just your quarterback room in general. What's your quarterback room cost you on the cap? Because remember, Deshaun Watson's right. contract is a million dollars. Now, he's making whatever. I mean, he's making just an insane amount of money. But... Ultimately, you're spreading that over the years. He's got a $1 million contract to, you know, to, to ease up any pain he might have from, a, you know, from being suspended for 10 games or whatever, or eight games, so he doesn't have to spend so much of his money because and, and, a lot of that money is going to go to, I'm assuming, going to go to uh, writing checks and settling civil suits. So um, if you keep Baker and say, dude, you got to play, like – your quarterback room's not going to cripple your. It's not going to cripple your cap, even if you kept Baker. I, I I'm with you though. I think they're going to release it. Hey, listen for everybody involved in the Stinking Truth podcast. We appreciate you guys to our presenting sponsor, great folks over at Bet Rivers. Also, Stinking Good Green Chili at StinkingGood.com. We thank you, and we'll talk to you next week.